Take your Bible, your copy of God's Word, and go to Acts, please, in the fourth chapter. We read chapter 3 earlier to give us kind of a running start into our text, Acts 4. Uh, I'll read verse 1. This is page 911 again, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats. As they were speaking, this is Peter and John, of course, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. I highlighted that in my Bible, greatly annoyed. Uh, when we're doing things for the Lord, not everyone is going to be pleased with that. So people, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power and by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which had become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no, other, in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave... The council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that notable sign has been performed. Through them it is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name, in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign was, uh, of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now, all of us, Love a good, moving, bold speech. Maybe we see it in the movies. 
Um, I can think of some sports movies that I've watched over the years that I appreciate, like Hoosiers or something like that. And there's these moments where the coach or someone gives this moving speech, right? Um, in our history, we've had a lot of moving, bold speeches. Um, I was thinking of a few of them. Patrick Henry, of course, in 1775, he says, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. I'd love to have been there. Like, as an observer, you know, don't want to get caught in that crossfire. But um, it's moving, bold. Frederick Douglass, 1852, speaking about slavery, he says, I will, in the name of humanity, which is outraged, in the name of liberty, which is fettered, in the name of the Constitution and the Bible, which are disregarded and trampled upon, dare to call in question and to denounce with all the emphasis I can command everything that serves to perpetuate slavery. Moving speech, bold. Abraham Lincoln, Gettysburg Address, you can think about that. He spoke for two minutes while his opponents spoke for two hours. Dr. King uh, Jr., his I Have a Dream speech, which almost didn't happen. Um, He wasn't going to include the dream part in his remarks there, but a singer who was there on stage on the platform yelled out to him, said, Dr. King, give him the dream, give him the dream. And so without the notes, he had pulled from previous speeches the different elements that he had done before, delivered this famous I Have a Dream speech. Moving time. If you've never read that speech, make sure you do. It's just a bold, moving time. So we all love those moments. We all kind of wish that we were there and, and, or that we had the courage to do that. In our text, in, in Acts 3 and 4 that we looked at, there's two times where Peter does this. He has this bold, moving speech about Jesus Christ. Now, remember that Peter is the same man who denied Jesus three times, once even to just a simple servant girl. So the question that I was wrestling in my mind as I'm reading this is how did Peter go from denying, even knowing Jesus, to being willing to speak so boldly for him? And if we're honest, a lot of us struggle with this boldness. I, I confessed to you earlier that I, I missed an opportunity to invite someone to church and hopefully have a conversation with them because I allowed excuses and fear to cloud my judgment in the moment. We all struggle with this. So how did, how did Peter go from denying to being willing to be imprisoned and being bold for Christ? There's a lot of answers to that question. There's a lot of nuances to that to, to, to answering that. No doubt the time that he spent with Jesus on the beach after the resurrection was life-changing. But our text, I think, gives us a few clues of how we can see Peter being moved to being a bold witness, and I believe that that should give us direction as we seek to be bold in our communication for Jesus Christ. So let me unpack this for the next few minutes here. What is the path to boldness? First of all, the path to boldness is not, is not education or heritage. Did did you notice that in the text here when I was reading chapter 4, when it says that after he gets done with his speech, in verse 13 it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. Now that's not a compliment. 
okay? Um, and I don't know how that perception happened. I don't know what, if that was like a, a conversation they had with each other. I don't know if it was just their, their minds, but somehow it had to be articulated at some point for Luke to write this down. And so probably at some point they said something, and maybe even in the moment. Maybe they're confirmed with each other, and they're like, you know, these guys are, I mean, they're just ordinary dumb people here. I mean, they, they, they don't have a lot here. They're just, they're just fishermen. They're just, and so why are they speaking so eloquently? How are they speaking so boldly on this? Why are they so uh, uh, passionate about this? So the path to boldness is not education or heritage. Now, I bring that up because we sometimes make the mistake of feeling like we need those things in order to be bold for Christ. Now, make no mistake, education and a godly heritage, they truly are blessings. Uh, I've had formal theological training in my life, and I am grateful for that. And it has helped me as I've tried to be a servant of Jesus Christ. And so I'm not saying it's not important, and I don't think this text is teaching that either. But it's not a requirement, okay? It's not a requirement. Some of you may know the name C.H. Spurgeon. He was an English pastor, Baptist pastor, and um, he's, he's had several nicknames, but one of them is the Prince of Preachers. Uh, he started pastoring, he was about 17 years old, and uh, God just blessed this man's ministry. Um, and if you read biographies and autobiography, his autobiography, you just see how God gifted this man, and, and thousands and thousands of people came to know Christ as a result of this man's ministry. Um, but how did he come to know Christ? Some of you may know that story, some of you may not. He was 15 years old, and he was walking uh, to church. Uh, he w- had a deep sense that he needed something to unrest spiritually, uh, he did grow up in a Christian environment, but he did not believe in Christ himself, and he was just having this unrest. And so, as a 15-year-old, he was trying to head to a church. A tremendous snowstorm came up that evening, and he couldn't continue on, so he went not to the church that he was going to. He turned down a side street, found another small little primitive Methodist chapel, and ducked inside for shelter. The preacher, who the normal preacher of the church was not there because he couldn't get there because of the snowstorm. So regular guy in the church stood up and said, well, we have to have a sermon. And so he opened the text of scripture and he began to read it. Isaiah 45, 22 was the text he read. It says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. Spurgeon, in his autobiography, records his reaction to this. Quote, he had not much to say, thank God, okay, for that compelled him to keep on repeating his text. And there was nothing needed by me, at any rate, except his text. Then stopping... He pointed to where I was sitting under the gallery, and he said, that young man there looks very miserable. (laughs) And he shouted, as I think only a primitive Methodist can, look, look, young man, look now. Now that is gutsy preaching. 
I have never called out someone like, you know, and said, look, you look miserable, <laughs> okay? You need this text. I've thought it. Now I've not said it, okay? <laughs> All right? <laughs> so that is, I mean, this gutsy preaching by this guy. And he was just this guy in the church that pastor couldn't show up. He snowed out. He's like, well, we have to have a sermon. Reads Isaiah 45, 22, and he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't have an outline. He doesn't have illustrations. He doesn't have any of these things. And so he's like, well, I'm just going to keep saying this over again. And Spurgeon says that's exactly what he needed. You know, education and heritage and training, those are blessings, but it's not a requirement to be bold for Jesus Christ. And we see it in this text here. And we see it in this room here. I want you to think about this. So, okay, how many of you, by a raise of hands here, how many of you who are here today and know Jesus Christ as your Savior were led to Christ by someone who, to the best of your knowledge, had no formal theological training? Raise your hand. Okay. All right, let's do this again. If you just raise your hand, and if you're able, stand up, okay? If you just raise your hand, and you're able, stand up. Now, okay, look around. Go ahead, look around the room here. The vast majority, it looks like, or at least half, thanks so much, you can be seated. At least half of you were led to Christ by someone who, the best of your knowledge, had no formal theological training at all. What does that tell us? That is not a requirement for us to be bold for Jesus Christ, right? Sometimes, though, we feel like it is. We feel like, well, I can't be bold for Christ because I don't know what to say. And, and, and what if they, I'm not trained in apologetics. And, and what, if, what if they say this and they have this question? And yeah, what if this preacher thought to himself when Spurgeon was there? It's like, man, this guy could get mad at me. This kid could get upset with me. Now, I'm not advocating that style of preaching necessarily, but what I am saying is he was bold for Christ. And he wasn't depending upon theological training. He wasn't depending upon education. So don't wait until you have learned more. And I'm not against learning more. I teach because I think we need to learn more. But, I'm not, but, but don't wait until we have learned more or get more mature before we become bold for Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you are equipped today, right now, to tell someone about Jesus Christ. So, path to boldness. It's not education. It's not godly heritage or a formal training. What is it, though? Secondly, the path to boldness is being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that in verse 8? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. That's important language. That's important that that is in the text. There's a reason why Luke recorded that and the Spirit of God prompted Luke to record that for us today is so that we know that this is the power by which Peter was standing there. It wasn't his own strength. It wasn't something that he was uh, 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 coming back on a, a speech that he had rehearsed and then he had uh, edited and, and had it vetted by uh, you know, uh, people who are skilled in rhetoric. This was someone who was just, just being bold for Christ because he was filled with God's spirit. So that brings up the question, what does it mean then to be filled with the spirit? And there's a lot of controversy, or, or not a lot, but in certain theological circles, there's some misunderstanding what this is about. 
So let me help you understand what this crucial thing means. Go over to another text of scripture that will help us, and it's Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And if you're using a Bible, it's provided for you there. It's page 978. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do need to carefully walk through this so we understand what it truly means to be filled with the Spirit, okay? Verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 5, page 978. Look carefully then... Ephesians 5.15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, and giving thanks always and for everything to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Literally what this word means here when it talks about being filled there, it has the idea of there's a, there's a command element to it, there's a passive element to it, there's a, there's a universal element to it, so it means all of you need to be being kept filled. Now, we would never say it in English because it's not smooth and doesn't, but that's literally, if we're going to piece all the construction of the word together, it means you need to do this, all of you need to do this, and it's something that's going to be continually that, but it's going to be a passive thing as well. So you have a responsibility, but it's not on your own, okay? So be being kept filled. This word carries some word pictures along with it that will help us understand what he means by it. So I'm going to share those with you. And, and, and I'll frame it around three words. The first one is pressure, okay? The second one is permeation. The third one is control. Let's go back to pressure. These are three ideas of this word about being filled here. Pressure. This is like the idea of wind in the sail of a ship, okay? The pressure of the wind in the sail is pushing the ship along, okay? We can use a different analogy or a different metaphor. It would be like a stick that is in the water. I remember when we were kids, we were little kids, my aunt and my mom with my cousins and my brother, we would go on one side of the bridge and drop a stick and run to the other side to see whose stick won the race, right? Okay, I think Winnie the Pooh did that or something like that. But anyway, the point is, is that what is carrying those sticks is the current in the river, right? What is moving or carrying the ship along the sea is the wind in the sail. So being filled has this idea of pressure, idea of it being carried along. There's another idea of this word that, to give the full meaning of it, and it's, I said, permeation. This would be like um, some people, they, they want to drink more water, but they don't like just drinking water, so they add drops of flavor to their water. And so they'll take a little thing and drop it in there and stir it up, and next thing you know, the entire glass 
Every part of the water has been completely affected by the drops, the flavor drops that were put into it. Another example could be an Alka-Seltzer tablet that's put into water and it bubbles and fizzes. And every part of the water has then been affected here. So this permeation completely affected. So this idea of being filled with the Spirit is this idea of being carried along, this idea of being completely affected. And then I said there was a third one, this idea of control, dominated, if you will, In this word, the same word filled is used in different texts of scripture. I'm not going to go to them, but I'll just tell you about emotions. Like in Luke chapter 5, it talks about being filled with fear. In Luke chapter 6, it talks about they were filled with anger. In John chapter 16, it talks about being filled with sorrow. And so what we have here is we have this idea of being dominated or controlled by a, 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 a certain emotion. And so it's almost the fact of when I am afraid of something, it, com- it affects everything about me, my thinking about everything else. That's the only thing I think about is my fear. Or if I'm angry, reason goes out the window and you could only be, you're only being affected by that emotion of anger or sorrow. The grief is so overwhelming, you can't eat, you can't drink. There's nothing else you want to do because of the grief. This is this idea This domination, complete control. So we unpack the word and what it means here, and we see when it talks about being filled with the Spirit, being carried along by being completely affected every area of my life, and by being under the control of the Spirit, by submitting myself to the control of the Spirit. This is how we have boldness for Christ. We ask God to fill us with his Spirit in the sense that we already have it. Romans teaches us that if we are in Christ, we have the Spirit of God. So we're not asking for more of the Spirit, but we're saying, I want to yield control. I want to yield myself to the influence, to be pressured, to be carried along, to be completely affected, to be controlled by the Spirit when the Spirit encourages me to do something. So I shared with you my failure last last week. I felt the Spirit of God saying, do this, and I didn't. That was one of those moments where it wasn't filled with the Spirit. So I repented. That's the reason why I repent. I didn't repent because I didn't hand the card because I thought, well, this guy's never going to know Jesus now. No, I repented because I resisted the Spirit. It was wrong. Now I'm assured that God's forgiven me. I've asked, I said, God, help me to obey next time. And that's the pattern of the Christian life. So here we have Peter back in Acts chapter 4, and he was just filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, submitting himself to the prompting of the Spirit, and God was using him. This idea of filled really has, so how do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? Again, this could be a whole sermon in itself. I'm just going to give the bullet points here in this text of Ephesians chapter 5. It talks about how that we sing. We're singing. That's an evidence of being filled with the Spirit, um, if we have a song I heard, the Bible talks about that a new song has been put in our heart. And it's not new in terms of chronology. It's, it's, it's a new in quality. We have a new type of song that we're singing praises to God. So if we're filled with the Spirit, we want to praise God. And so that, quite frankly, that's why it concerns me if I see people who continually just don't sing. Because I know that one of the, the evidence of being filled with the Spirit of God is that we're going to sing. Now, we all don't have good voices. Uh, we all are a little bit more embarrassed by our voices sometimes. I get that. But there should be a song in our heart. 
There should be a, a praise to God. So not just singing there according to the text, giving thanks, have a thankful disposition, and then this idea of submission, submitting to a higher authority. And back in our text, if you want to go back to Acts, this idea of submission to a higher authority was evident. Do you remember when Peter said in verse 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. So basically he's saying, you tell me, should I listen to you or should I listen to God? That's what he's saying. So he's saying, I'm submitting myself to a higher authority. That's one of the signs according to uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, this idea of submission. So what is the path to boldness? This idea of being filled with the Spirit. Peter and John knew that the power to be bold for Christ had to come from God. How do I know that? Back in Acts chapter 4, I didn't read this section, but after they were released, in verse 23, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And do you know what they did next? They had a prayer meeting. And do you know what one of the things they prayed for was? Boldness. Look at verse 29. This is the middle of the prayer. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They had just stood firm. They had just been very bold for Christ. And what's the next thing they do? They pray for more boldness. So this should be a prayer that we often pray. Pray for boldness. Ask God to help you submit to the Spirit's leading in your life. Then when you feel the Spirit telling you to do something, do it. No matter how scary it seems in the moment. I told the story a second ago about C.H. Spurgeon, English pastor. Let me tell you a story real quickly about an American pastor, evangelist, by the name of D.L. Moody. Some of you are familiar with him. Uh, he's got a college in the Chicago area. Uh, Marsha attended there, uh, Moody. Uh, I'm not going to make the joke, but we'll... Uh, um, he wasn't there when you were there, right? So, okay. Okay. So, I did. I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. Um, ah, man. So, um, D.L. Moody, his conversion. Um, he was 18 years old. He was a boot salesman in his uncle's store in Boston. And his Sunday school teacher was burdened for him. The only thing we know about his Sunday school teacher, his name was Mr. Kimball. And it says that he had it on his heart on winning the young boy for Christ, a young man for Christ. So he prayed about the matter, and he arranged to visit D.L. Moody at the boot store. Now, now listen to this. This is his own words. I was determined to speak to him about Christ and about his soul and started down to Holton's boot store. Now listen to this. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go in just then during business hours. Well, you know, I don't want to take him from his job. You know, it's kind of during business hours. I thought my call might embarrass the boy. Well, you know, I mean, he's not going to like this. I embarrass him. And that when I went away, the other clerks would ask who I was and taunt him with my efforts in trying to make him a good boy. In the meantime, so as he's pondering this, as, as these excuses are battling in his mind and he's going back, he, he says, in the meantime, I passed the store. He walks by the store. And he says, in discovering this, I love this next sentence, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. <laughs> okay? He's like, I just got to get this over with. Okay? And so he goes back to the store. Okay? 
I found him, Moody, in the back of the building wrapping up shoes. I went up to him at once and putting my hand on his shoulder, I made what I felt afterwards was a very weak plea for Christ. I don't know just what words I used, nor could Mr. Moody tell. I simply told him of Christ's love for him and the love Christ wanted in return. That was all there was. It seemed the young man was just ready for the light that then broke upon him. And there in the back of the store in Boston, D.L. Moody gave himself and his life to Christ. I am so encouraged by that story on so many levels. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand to this, but how many of us have had those same fears and those same excuses in our minds when we feel God's prompting? And, and then there's this idea, I just wanted to make a dash for it and get it over with. I love that. So here's the point. When we press through the fear and we trust God for boldness, there will be joy. Um, God will be honored. So just do it. After we obey, there's a sense of joy. There's, you know, when, when I disobeyed God, and because, and again, it's not about the card, it was about what I knew God was asking me to do. And I came up with excuses. I felt terrible. And I asked God to forgive me. The next time when I talked to someone, there was joy in my heart because I felt like I obey God. Thank you for helping me obey. And again, that's just that specific illustration. I'm not talking necessarily about, this is not all about the cards. I'm just saying about obeying God and what he's asked us to do. So the path to boldness is being filled with the Spirit, obeying God when he prompts you to do something, no matter how scary it is. Finally, lastly today, the path to boldness is knowing Jesus. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's the key. They were with Jesus. They knew Jesus. Peter just can't get away from being accused of being with Jesus. The servant girl back in the day, she says, weren't you with him? He says, no, I wasn't at all. Now, he says, they were, you were with Jesus. Interesting how God redeems that. Interesting that, that we contrast those two stories. And this time he embraced his identity with Jesus. But look at what he said in verse 20. He's talking to them after they're warning him not to talk anymore. He says, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What did Peter see and hear? Peter saw Jesus walk on water. Peter saw Jesus feed thousands of people. Jesus, Peter saw Jesus being gracious and patient with him on the beach after the resurrection. Peter saw a lot of things. And even when he wasn't there, because John tells us that all the works, if we recorded all the works that Jesus did while he was on earth, the world itself couldn't contain the books. And so there's a lot of things that Jesus did that we don't know about, that Peter probably heard about. And those are the things that motivated him in the end. He says, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. So the question, though, that we need to wrestle with in the last couple minutes together is what have you seen and heard? 
I tried to do some math, think about what I've heard of how many sermons I've listened to in my life, how many Bible lessons I've listened to in my life, and it was really hard, but I'll just say it's a lot. Some of you have listened to a lot of sermons and a lot of teaching about Christ. You're equipped to tell people about Christ. Just tell them what you've seen and heard. What have you seen God do? I put on Facebook and asking for some sermon help, and some people, they responded with some notes to me. I want to share some with you. I, I don't know if I'll share the names or whatever, but here's some emails I got when I said, what have you seen? You know, how have you seen God in your life? Someone from our church wrote and said, you know, I should spend my days in grateful amazement for the myriad of little things. Talk about God placing them by adoption into a wonderful, loving family. God bringing this person the most perfect, imperfect husband they could imagine. God saving me and growing me in him. God holding us through the loss of babies. God bringing us through health issues. God withholding his justified, severe discipline for the sins I've committed. Someone else wrote, I'm still amazed at how God reached into the darkness and pulled me into his marvelous light over 22 years ago. I did nothing to deserve his favor and salvation. In fact, I blatantly spit in his face and flaunted my sinfulness for the world to see. Yet he replaced my desire and zeal for worldly things with zeal and desire for knowing him and reading his word. He's given me parents who love him and faithfully pray for me. He has given me a faithful husband who loves himself or loves God and children for me to teach about him. He has given me brothers and sisters in Christ, a loving church family to carry me through difficult times and the privilege of helping bear the burdens through prayer. I'm amazed at the way he continues to pick me up out of every mud puddle I've become mired in and by his grace washed me clean and give me a new beginning. I am so amazed and bewildered that God seems truly delighted in pouring out his loving kindness to me. Someone who has his enemy brought reproach to, on his name and trampled the blood of his son under my feet. He is so much greater than amazing. And truly, his loving kindness endures forever. May the high praise of God forever be on my lips and the double-edged sword forever in my hand. Psalm 149. Um, Jane said I could use her name. So she talks about how her daughter-in-law was healed from sickness. Doctors thought she wouldn't live. Tom, you remember, had total heart blockage. According to the docs, he shouldn't be here. Some of you remember Jane's mother who had Alzheimer's, couldn't speak for God's glory and honor, but did because the staff would read the Bible to her. Protection of their son when he had his amnesia episode. He drove to work and didn't remember a thing, but then there's been no brain tumors or anything after that. A lot of amazing things. I look back and I see God's hand in everything she wrote. One person wrote on a very practical level that their car battery died on Wednesday. Thought they were going to have to pay about $100 for a new one, but through a course of things ended up, the total bill was zero. I just about burst into tears praising God. God is amazing and he provides. Someone else sent me a two-page letter. I won't go through it all, and, but it was story after story of family members and grandchildren who had health scares and God has just 
brought them through it, but more than that, has established their faith, bringing them to the point where they can be thankful for all things, even trials. What have you seen? What have you heard? You see, this is the path to boldness. What have you seen and heard? That's all Peter and John were doing. So here's the application. Don't overcomplicate this. If you learn nothing else from the sermon, here's the sentence I want you to remember. I put it on the screen. If you've seen a lot and heard a lot, then you have a lot to say. If you've seen a lot and you've heard a lot, you have a lot to say. That's all God's asking us to do. What have you seen? What have you heard? So, if you know Jesus, you are equipped for boldness because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Ask God to use his spirit to give you boldness for the opportunities to talk about Christ to the people this week. If you miss an opportunity, ask God to forgive you and help you the next time. So let me give you some homework. Here's some homework. Put them up on the screen so you can see it. 311 homework. Make a goal to ha- give out at least three invite cards this week. And the reason why I keep coming back to invite cards is because it's just a simple way to force us to do something that we should be doing anyway, okay? So you don't have to hand out an invite card, but talk to someone, okay? But I think this is a good goal. Hand out three invite cards this week. Make it a daily goal to remember one thing that you have seen or heard about Jesus. Maybe set a timer, maybe on your lunch break or something. Set an alarm or something to say, what have I seen and what have I heard? Could be that day, could be in the past. And the last thing, I would love it if you just look at one person in the eye this week and say, isn't God good? And it doesn't have to be anything deep. It doesn't have to be anything like massive. You could just say, if they look and say, well, yeah, well, why do you say that? Or then tell them why. You could just say, because I got out of bed this morning, okay? <laughs> because the headache I've had for the past two days is gone. Because my heat is working in my house. We went through this polar vortex, okay? And I had heat. Isn't God good? It doesn't have to be anything deep or anything, but look at someone and say, isn't God good? Tell people what you've seen and heard. Don't overcomplicate it. God's asking us something pretty simple. Let's be like Peter and John and just simply tell people what we've seen and heard. So here's the deal. If you've seen a lot, and if you've heard a lot, you have a lot to say. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to look at this text. And I pray that we would take our cue from Peter and John here and that we would tell people about Christ. And Lord, I'm grateful that you have asked us to do this. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Um, The musicians are coming up here, and um, I meant to say this in the conclusion. Um, This message obviously was for people who already know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But I am not naive enough to think that every one of us here does know Jesus as their Savior. If you don't know him as your Savior, then you're not to speak boldly for him because you don't know him. But you could know him. And I would be honored to talk to you more about that. So if you're sitting here going, I don't even know if I know this person that you're talking about, I would love to talk to you more about that.